Father, we thank you for this morning, and we pray, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us uh, from your word, and Lord, that uh, you would apply it uh, to the hearts that are worshiping at home or, or, the, or the hearts that uh, are gathered here uh, at Stedman Street. And so, Lord, speak to our heart, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I'd like to introduce you to is, is just a tool, especially when we come to the uh, Gospel of John. Uh, this little tool is called the Synopsis of the Four Gospels. And what it does is it uh, takes... How many Gospels are there, by the way? Four. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so this, this little tool here has four columns. It has what... Matthew and Mark and Luke and John individually say and record about each event in the life of Jesus. And we know that each one of those gospel writers see things through a different lens. Three of them see things incredibly uh, through the same lens, and they're called the what? They're called the synoptic gospels because they see things through the same lens. And then you have John who writes his gospel, depending upon what scholar you read, somewhere around 80, 90. And he's a wise man, an older man, and he's had a lot of thought about what Jesus did and what that means, uh, you know, kind of going forward uh, after the day of Pentecost. And so each one of these gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they all see things slightly differently. Uh, John, in particular, he has a single purpose. And if we were to look at John, uh, what is it, chapter 20, verse 30, John says, you know, that if all the miracles were put together that Jesus performed, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain them. And so what John says is, I've pulled out uh, a few miracles so that it would produce faith and belief and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so John tends to take things and narrow them down to make his point, whereas Matthew and Mark and Luke can be more expansive. Now, this morning we're looking at the account in John chapter 6 about Jesus walking on the water. But John only gives us a little slice of it and so that's what we want to try to do. I want to try to, at least for the first, say, five or ten minutes, is, is use the synoptic Gospels to kind of give us a sense of what John's trying to get at, but also to be able to understand what the purpose of Jesus is in the disciples' hearts as they're out rowing this boat against the headwinds. And if you've ever done that, and I've done that quite a bit, um, out in Salem Harbor and out in Gloucester Harbor, if you get a wind from the, from the northwest, I mean, you're not getting home anytime soon. Because that wind, once it gets up to 20, 30 miles an hour, that wind churns up what would be a, a very calm bay, churns up the waters, and you're out there in a kayak, boy, and when those waves start coming over the top, you're like, you're making way for home, and you can be out there. What, what took you 20 minutes to get out to, say, 
you know, out to one of the islands in, in uh, Salem Harbor, it could take you three, four times that amount of time to get back home. And so what's going on in the life of the disciples? Because that, if we can answer that question, we're going to understand what God wants to do in our hearts through his word. And so to begin with, open up to John chapter 6 and come with me to say uh, verse 14 and 15, because that sets the stage for, for what's to come. That sets the stage for what the Lord wants to do in the disciple's heart, and it'll help bring an understanding of how we can apply this text in our own heart, in our own life. So John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. John writes this, When the people saw the sign which he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Speaking about the prophet that Moses promised in Deuteronomy, verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so they saw this great miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. It's actually 10,000 people. And they said, oh man, this is what we're hoping for. We're hoping for someone that can come with great power and great authority and miracles and deliver us from the Roman occupation. And so within the hearts of the disciples, we begin to get a peek at what was going on in their hearts. They were saying this, this is our time. This is, this is the king has come. And they particularly missed the nature and purpose that Jesus came to give up his life as a suffering servant. And Jesus knew that in their hearts, that the disciples were being wooed away from the central purpose of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to look at Luke chapter 9, Luke doesn't say anything about that. If you looked at Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6 doesn't say anything about that. If you look at Matthew chapter 14, Matthew 14 verse 21 adds this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so when we harmonize the gospel accounts, we begin to get an understanding of what God or what Jesus is about to do in the life of his disciples. So take note of this. The disciples' hearts are being full or filled with a desire for position, power, and title. Position, power, and title. They were hoping that Jesus would come, and even in Acts, even after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, you look at, I think it's Acts 1, 6, or 7, it's the disciples say to Jesus, what? Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you now do that? And so these guys were, they were somewhat clueless when you think of the apostles. They were somewhat lacking in understanding, and they had a desire for position, power, and influence. Come back to John chapter 6 with me. Look at verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, if we just left it at John, we'd say, oh, the fellows had a good idea. 
They were going to go to the. They were going to go to Bethesda, and they were going to go to the other side of the lake. And we would miss entirely. We would miss entirely what Jesus wanted to do, and the dilemma that Jesus faced with the disciples. And so we have to go to Luke. Is there anything in Luke about this account? There's nothing in Luke. Then we have to go to Mark and Matthew. In Matthew 14.22 and Mark 6.45, here's the phrase. I'll give you the Greek word first. It's anakardzo. That's the, that's the key word, anakardzo. And here's the text, Mark 6. 45, Matthew 14, 23. He made, what's your Bible say? He made his disciples to get where? To get in the boat. Do you think that was a suggestion? Jesus said, oh my, oh come on fellas, you know, just move along and get into the boat. No, but the word here, the verb here, to make, anacardzo, means this, to compel by force. And so it was not a mere suggestion to get into the boat. You could see them there. The disciples, they were, they were giddy because they loved what? Position, power, title. They were being swayed by the crowds. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus took them by the ear. You ever do that with a kiddo? It's the, most, it's the easiest way to get a kiddo to follow you. Just grab a hold of that little lobe there, and you say, come along, Tim. <laughs> come along, Becky. Or if you got Teal or Artie, you say, come along, Teal and Artie. And they follow. But it's to compel by force. And so not only did Jesus perhaps grab their ear, but he might have grabbed a few other body parts. <laughs> and maybe with Peter, he had to pick him up and throw him in the boat to compel in a card zone means to compel by force. Why? Well, one we've already talked about. One reason we've already talked about is because the disciples, they love prominence. And the disciples were no different than many of the people of their day. They desired to be liberated from Roman occupation. And there was a tendency in their heart to be get pulled away from the suffering servant who came to give up his life, who came to die on the cross, came to be risen from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts, and is going to come again. So the disciples were not quite attuned to what Jesus wanted to do. And so he had a test for them. And as we looked at last week, the word for test is not to create an opportunity for failure, right? It's to have an opportunity to grow in self-awareness. That's why these tests come into our life. You ever wonder, like, why the stress, Lord? Or the famous question is, why me? Why these difficulties? Why do you get to mess up my life, Lord? And so there was a test to create an opportunity for spiritual growth. And so Jesus went away to pray. And he, by force, put the disciples in the boat and sent them out as darkness was coming, sent them out 
as the sun was going down, and as is so often, and when the sun goes down, what comes up? The wind comes up. So you got this convection going on, and at the Sea of Galilee, the, the sun went down, it began to cool, the, the winds come from the north, from Mount Hermon and Damascus, and they come flooding down the hillside, and they churn up the sea, just like happens out at Gloucester, or out at Salem Harbor, or out at, out at Marblehead. The sea begins to churn up. Did Jesus know that that was going to happen? Did Jesus know that the disciples were leaving at night? Did Jesus know that there was a storm coming? Did Jesus know that these fishermen would be blown three miles out into the middle of the lake and that they would be frightened out of their wits? Did Jesus know all of that? Yes, he did. Why? Because there was a lesson that Jesus wanted to teach them. And that same lesson is a takeaway for for you and I today. Synopsis of the four Gospels. Come to John chapter 6. Take a look at it with me. John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Did they go willingly? (laughs) No. Anacardzo, no, they didn't go willingly. Because God had a plan. And God had an appointment for them. There was a point of growth that they were going to experience. Same thing happens to you and I when the circumstances of life overwhelm us. There's a point of growth. Verse 17, they got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Just like you and I, we're in the dark The sea is churning in our life. Jesus is off. What's he doing? We know from from harmonizing the gospel, Jesus is praying. He's praying to his father. Father, what would you have me do? Is now the time to teach these guys a lesson? Is now the time to bring forth some spiritual growth in his life? Just because you're overwhelmed by the circumstances of life doesn't mean that Jesus is not aware of it. Doesn't mean he's not praying for you, interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. He's doing all that. Come back to the text with me. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, something happened. They saw Jesus. Jesus comes to them in the darkness, in the storm, as they're rowing. As they're out of strength, Jesus comes to them at that moment. Back to the text. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Fishermen, frightened. Fishermen that had been out in that lake, day in, day out, night, day, storms, frightened. By the storm itself, and by what they saw. It says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, what? It is I, do not be, what? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear, fear gripped their hearts, 
But there's more to the story. We have to do what? We have to go to Matthew. We have to go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 29 through 11. C.S. Lewis has a way of looking at this particular miracle. C.S. Lewis says that this miracle was of the new creation type of miracle. In other words, it was the kingdom of God coming. And because it was a new creation miracle, C.S. Lewis suggests that this, the, the application of this miracle is for every believer, every believer in Christ. Every believer in Christ can learn the lessons from here because it's about Jesus calling one of his own to come to him. Matthew gives us the account, Matthew chapter 14, 29 through 31. Peter answered him. Jesus says, it is I, be not what? Be not afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. What a bold statement. Oh, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you. You know, I uh, teal my granddaughter. She's six. Well, when she was six months old, I got to take her to swim lessons. And I took her to swim lessons from the time she was six months old until probably four and a half. And she loved the water. You know, she just enjoyed it so much, just like her mother did, Becky. And uh, it was so cool to take her to the pool as a little kiddo. But one of the things you had to do when they were kiddos, you had to help them learn to keep their mouths closed when they were sw- are trying to swim. And so I'd take little Teal like this when she was a little, just like a year old or something like that, and I'd go like this, whoop. And Teal would do what? down at the and she starts sputtering and then I just kind of reach in there and get her up and and make her laugh and then do it again boom so she learned to keep her mouth closed and now Artie now he's a different dude Artie he's like he's like built like a linebacker he's like a like a box of bricks and I didn't get to take Artie to swim lessons you know myself but I got to watch a few of them and so here's Artie the 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 little the swim instructor goes like this what do you think Artie does? Right to the bottom. Starts inhaling the water. <laughs> There's a lesson here. It's a very practical lesson. And Peter's going to learn it. Never, here's the lesson. Never put your eyes on the circumstances of your life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because if you keep your eyes on Jesus, your circumstances of life may not change that much, but you'll certainly change. Your circumstances of life might be praying and and the Lord and His sovereignty keeps you in the midst of that difficulty, keeps you in the midst of that trial. Why? Because all things work together for the good, for those that love God and called according to his purpose. God in his sovereignty is above the circumstances. Take a look at the text in, in Matthew. So Peter got out of the boat. And, and, and can you imagine that? Stepping on that water and woohoo! Yeah, it works. And Peter steps out and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was what? It's like you and I. He was afraid. 
and he began to sink. And then he did the right thing to do. He cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O ye a little faith, why did you doubt? In all of our lives, in all of our lives, we are just like these disciples. We often find ourselves on a sea of trouble. We often find ourselves on a sea of doubt. We often find ourselves that we've gone out and we find ourselves in the middle of the darkness. We find ourselves in the middle of circumstances that overwhelm us. We find ourselves praying, Jesus, save us. The lesson that comes out of this is that Jesus is the overseer. He is sovereign over all circumstances in our life. Jesus uses that same language. Fear not, it is I, it is I am. It's the same that he's going to say in John chapter 8. He says, I am before who? I am before Abraham. It's that self-designation, that language of deity, that we can trust him in the midst of all circumstances because he will not leave us, he will not forsake us, and get this, he, Jesus, will not allow us to sink. Just as when Teal, when, just like you go with Teal, a little bloop and go like that, well, Artie needed a bigger rescue. But Jesus, he'll never let us sink because he's there for us. What's the takeaway from us? Is that we will arrive at the place that God has for us because I am convinced, Philippians 1, 6, that he that began a good work in us. He'll complete that work until the day we hear that trump sound and Jesus Christ comes and, re- and brings us to him. What's the great lesson here that Peter needed to learn? Is don't trust your circumstances. Trust Jesus. Allow him to transform your heart and life and replace fear with courage. Replace fear with confidence. Replace fear with faith. It's the same lesson that we all need to learn in life. And wrapping this up, come back to the text with me, and we see another miracle, often gone unnoticed. In verse 21, he says to them, or we can read in verse 21, it says, they were glad to take Jesus into the boat. That's such an understatement. They were glad to take Jesus into the, his, into the boat and look at the second miracle. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Friends, if you find yourself in the circumstances of life and that the storms have come and the wind and the waves and you're about to get your boat overturned are swamped, know this. You can trust in Jesus. That you can cry out to him. And he may not immediately answer your prayer. Why? With the disciples, he was off on the hill praying. Lord, is it time? Is it time to come and visit these boys that are out in the middle of the lake? We can have that same confidence that Jesus sits at the right hand of God 
making intercession for you and I. That he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And with groans and words that we can't understand, he's working in our hearts. He's working in our life. What's the takeaway for us? Is that we can trust Jesus to get us to the other side, to do his work, to transform our hearts and lives. The disciples needed to learn that lesson. And Jesus, get this, Jesus intentionally, by force, (laughs) put them in the boat. They obeyed, right? And they learned their lesson. Same with you and I. If we find ourselves in the circumstances of life, trust Jesus. He loves you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's there praying, interceding for us as our great high priest at the right hand of God. Can you say amen? Amen. Could you take a moment and prepare your hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning?